Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi, hang out with me for a second. Coming up this Friday on the After Party Podcast with me and Kimberly, it's part two of our special year-end shows about the 1980s. We're going year by year talking about news events, music, movies, pop culture, all the things from the 1980s. We already covered 1980, 81, and 82 last week. So this Friday, December 8th, it's going to be 1983, 84, 85, the most 80-ish of all the 80s years. But the only way you can listen is by subscribing to the After Party level on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Show. So don't miss out. Again, go to bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash Show. Choose the After Party level, enter your information, and you're all set. Thanks so much for supporting this podcast and our 80s shows. And now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Hello, this is Robert Stack of Unsolved Mysteries, wishing you the best for a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. The Bob Seska Show. Former Nation's Capital, it is Wednesday, December 6, 2023, and this is the Bob Seska Interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 1050 of the Biden-Harris administration, 334 days into the 24th presidential election. You can find me on threads and Instagram. My handle is the Bob Seska. Twitter, it's Bob Seska underscore go. Spoutable Bob Seska. And Patreon is bobseskashow.com. So today we're talking about white supremacy and hate groups with Matson and Tawny Browning. They're the authors of The Hate Next Door, Undercover Within the New Face of White Supremacy. Matt was an undercover detective in Arizona who infiltrated, documented, and disrupted white supremacy movements from the inside. Groups like the KKK, Skinheads, Border Militias, Proud Boys, and other white nationalist groups. Tani is a television producer who herself managed to break up a skinhead group as well. You can find links to The Hate Next Door in the description under this episode at bobseska.com. Okay, meantime, don't forget to support this podcast by subscribing to us on Patreon, bobseskashow.com. All right, this is me talking with the immensely courageous Matt and Tawny Browning. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. So the book is not just a glimpse into this heart of darkness of, of hate crimes and hate speech, white supremacy and so forth. It's also a testament to the fact that there are still really good people out there, courageous people 
doing the hard work of pushing back against all of this hate. So, Matt, uh, what was it like waking up every morning and just surrounding yourself with these people? Well, the crazy thing is, it, it you know, it, quite honestly, it was a job, and I was good at the job. But it, if I really looking back on it now, it really sucked because <laughs> we do. Yeah. You're constantly you're constantly dealing with people who are you know murderers mm-hmm. and people who have no sense of reality about what's really going on in this world, and it's it's it was it was it was bad. Were there moments when you felt like ah oh, screw this I can't deal with this insanity anymore? Did you feel like you just wanted to hang throw in the towel, hang it up, and uh, walk away from all of it, or? Did the results of your efforts and sacrifices keep you going and motivated? You know, I think that's a better question for Tani because at one time during all my undercover work, Tani said, you know what, Matt, if you don't do it, then who's going to do it? I was so deep into it. And, you know, putting away 19 guys for murder or attempted murder just in Arizona alone. Uh, That's incredible. um, Yeah. And so Tani was really, I mean, I don't want to say Tani was my driving force, but Tani was really one of the driving forces I had to at least complete what I had started. Yeah. So Tani, I mean, how did you cope with the possibility, for example, that Matt might not come home? You know what? The crazy thing is, is I was more worried. This is going to sound ridiculous, but I was more worried about him and his soul and his, you know, his outlook on life than I was about his safety. Like I wasn't really worried about our safety or really even his as crazy as that sound. I was worried about the safety of the soul and him as a human being and his humanity more than I was about his protection, physical protection. What's the psychological effect of being this close to so much hate? It sounds like when you're talking about Matt's soul, that there was a very real possibility that this could grind you down, grind both of you down to the point where you become maybe cynical or you just give up? Well, you know, there's a quote in the book and, and I, I just loved it so much because it was one that that we we kind of live by. It's whoever fights monsters should see it, should see, should see to it that in the process, he does not become a monster. Yeah. And as I as I saw some of the monstrous things that he was seeing and he'd come home, I I would say, you know, love, there are good people everywhere. There are, you know, this is not reality what you're in. You're submerged in hateful, ugly rhetoric. This is not normalcy. So that's, you know, that's I wanted to make sure that he stayed the man I married, the thoughtful, kind, gentle, wanting to make a difference. Um, person that I married. And so we, we worked really hard on that. Uh, did I answer your question? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, did, did either of you see colleagues, people you knew who succumbed to it, who, who were, as I said, ground down by it, or maybe even indoctrinated by it? You know, that was hard on me because I thought so, I mean, I was in this from the very beginning with Matt, you know, through the Academy and everything else. And I saw some really good guys, um, go a different way but i'll let matt speak more to that he was he ended up in a lot of public corruption and things yeah. like that as well yeah, yeah. You, know, you know we talk about in the book is that there's there's a lot of you know i wasn't worried about some skinhead burning me off as a cop or, or recognizing me from something i was more concerned always about you know what other police officers are going to be there on their own time mm-hmm. and be part of these organizations and having those guys burn me because within law enforcement, you know, 
there's there's oath keepers you know they they're a bunch of cops and and sheriffs and military and fire and then there's also the proud boys who like to cater to law enforcement there's a lot of different organizations that want law enforcement to come into their organization and those were always my worries of of seeing those people and you know yeah i i know firsthand of uh, guys on my department in Phoenix PD and some other departments that were teaching, you know, at these sovereign and militia groups what to do and what not to do. Do you ever find yourself in sort of a Serpico kind of situation where someone goes bad and uh, you're in a position where, geez, do I do I say something about this colleague who may have gotten too deep into it? Uh, has that situation ever come about? Yeah, but but not with a colleague. It was more, there's a skinhead that, one of the stories in the book, there's a skinhead that was, uh, they wanted these skins to apply to the different police departments so they could get on the departments and, and get information and indoctrinate and do different things. And so wow. I found out yeah. and, you know, I outed them and, and I outed a couple of them. And, and sure enough, but from those, those guys being terminated, um, you know, I had death threats. I had guys show up at my house wanting to to shoot me and blow up the house and different things. So, you know, you just have to you just have to decide on what's the most important thing here. And there was one cop that actually in uniform and in a cop car flipped off a pro-immigration rally. So that that started a little bit of a spark in the media back when as well. It was crazy times. Very crazy. Wow. So has any of these hate groups targeted you for assassination? It sounds like uh, they have. It sounds like that's a thing, Matt. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I kind of have to sit back and, and laugh at times because that's the only way you can kind of keep your sanity when, when death threats do come in. Yeah. Last year, last year I found out of another death threat. Um, so it's just, it's, it's part of the job. You know, you can't do what you do and be successful at it and not expect, you know, the other side to want to get rid of you so you don't expose them. Um, there was a mural that was made um, of them shooting Matt in the head, you know, someone had made. Um, that oh my got God. To, that got to me because, you know, the rest of it was rhetoric. Oh yeah, someone else wants to kill you. Okay, you know, so who 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 today? But when there was a mural that was, you know, graffiti that was made of, of a hit, that was a little frightening. Well, a lot frightening, that, that drove it home. I can't even imagine. So obviously the word was out on some level that you were this undercover agent infiltrating these groups. Did you have to, Matt, go through greater and greater lengths to disguise yourself over time in order to continue to do your work? Was that a consideration or were you able to carry on with the same disguises and process? You know, one of the last ones I had was I was helping some of my patrol guys out on a traffic stop and a guy wouldn't get out of the car. I got him to get out of the car and he's a, he's an old school skinhead, all the tattoos and everything. And as soon as he gets out of the car, he looks at me and he says, you know, you're browning, aren't you? And I'm going, well, yeah, who are you? And he goes, well, you know, you got paper on you. You got a green light on you. And he just got out of prison. And so when guys are coming out of prison with the message that I had of a green light, on me it kind of it that was one of the, the points in my career where i had to make a decision do i just you know shelter away and hide and quit doing what i'm doing or do i stand up and continue to fight hate yeah. and in those situations you got to stand up and continue to fight hate and and that's what i did and that's what tani did and that's what we we told the 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 family and we just stand up and i have a philosophy if you got a problem with me let's talk about it 
And, and so hopefully, you know, hopefully that philosophy will continue even now that, you know, guys, if you want to kill me, let's, let's talk before you kill me. So at least we can hear both sides of what's going on. I mean, how did you deal with that, Tawny? Because oftentimes I imagine the threat isn't just against Matt. It's against Matt's family. So on some level, were you terrified, not just for Matt, but for yourself, for your own safety? Yes. Well, I would, I would, as Matt mentioned a little bit earlier, I would always say, if not you, who? Because we found ourselves in this position. And if you know something, even at such a young age, when we started all this, you know, you have to do something, but it really was hit home when we had a lamb, a 4-H project lamb that was slaughtered on the on our back porch the day after Christmas. Oh, my so God. I knew that people knew who we were, and, and that's where the mama bear, the protection that I had for the home and the family came in. Matt had our, always been our protection on the outside, but when that lamb, when your little boys, you know, nine, your little – boys find their dead pet that that's a lot so that's when i that's when i said look i'm in i gotta know these guys hearts and minds and i need to understand what we're dealing with here yeah so something like that happens what's the reaction to that i mean do you sit down as a family and go boy should we continue to even go down this road or do we need to do more to root out these hate groups what was the reaction among all of you um, did they cry? You know, I laugh when you say that, and I'm not really laughing, but it seems so ridiculous because, of course, you would just want to get out of the <laughs> entire battle. Yeah. Yeah. But we we just dug in more. That's when I said, I'm in. You know, what are these people about? Why do they want to hurt our families? What other families in America do they want to hurt? You know, it just it kind of just blew up from there, at least for me. So are these things ever fully resolved, these threats, or do they continuously hang over your head? I mean, to this day, are you still kind of keeping one eye looking over your shoulder? Like, uh, I don't know, something could still happen. Is there, I, I, is there ever an end point? I think that's, it depends on who you ask. Because yeah. for me, it's just second nature. It's just who I am, always constantly looking around. If you ask yeah. our kids, you know, they might say, yeah, my dad's always looking around. He's always, he can't, you know, if we go somewhere like, like, uh, you know, whether it's the gym or a movie or whatever. And I'm always constantly looking towards the exits and all this other stuff. And that's a lot, has a lot to do with the police, uh, police officer mentality. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, when it, when it becomes personal and you start doing things differently to avoid the situations, that's, that's when I believe it becomes a problem. And, um, but it goes back to this. I mean, if you got a problem, let's talk about it. That's the problem we have in the world today is nobody's talking about the problems we're having. We're just yelling, fighting, and screaming, yeah. and and nothing gets resolved. So talk about some of the hate groups you managed to infiltrate, Matt. What specifically were they about, and were they planning anything? I imagine there were plans that you were privy to uh, in the process of doing this. So uh, talk about uh, the dynamics of these groups and what they were geared toward. Well, the dynamic of hate is is pretty simple. It's yeah. it's You break it down into a mathematical equation, and and. For me to talk about math is ridiculous because I'm horrible at it. But if, if if you take it to where you have a person's ideology and then you add the rhetoric that comes from the ideology yeah. and then you multiply that with a little bit of religion, you're going to have violence. It's, it's the recipe for hate through all the times. And so what we have to do is once you understand that, then you can look at whether it's the Klan 
whether it's a war skin, whether it's a, a Vinlander or a Volksfront or a, a boot boy or whatever type of skinhead crew or even a militia group. Once you understand the ideology and the rhetoric of those groups, you, you can see that they're pretty much all the same. And the hatred towards the Jews, the hatred towards the Mexicans, the hatred towards the blacks, it, it's all the same. And it's been that way forever. And, and it'll probably stay that way. And so you have to, I, were they planning anything? Well, I mean, National Alliance, they would go down to the border and and they tried to start a, a war with the Mexican military. And we talked about that in the book, one of the, I believe it's the first chapter of the book, wow. where, where, you know, I got a call from our highway patrol and they asked me if I could go down there and identify some people for them. And sure enough, members of the National Alliance were down there trying to start a, a, a shootout with the Mexican military to close the border. Um, an international. It would, yeah, it would have turned into an international incident, yeah. and and the border would have been shut. And that's that's their purpose. They want the border closed because they believe that it will stop the increase in illegal immigration. So it, it, it's just then you have your barbecues, you have your barbecues, you have your hmm. your cross burnings, you have your your rallies, your concerts, your hate music, your festivals. And, and all of these, you know, it's for this, the same specific purpose of promoting hate. You have your hunting trips where they drive around and look for minorities to beat down and kill or threaten or stab. And it just goes, the list is endless. Was there anything in particular that you overheard that went beyond the usual hate crimes, the usual hate speech? Something in particular that shocked you, that we, you're standing there, you're in the room, and a discussion erupts about, okay, here's what we're going to do, and you go, man, I've never seen this before. W was there any situation like that, Matt? Um, the, I think the closest situation like that would have been um, after a murder happened where a, a skinhead crew killed their leader, stabbed him 15 times on Christmas wow. Eve in the front yard of a house. They're having a Christmas party. It's a winter solstice party is what they're having. They stabbed him 15 times and killed him. And one of the skins that was there that witnessed the whole thing, um, you know, we, we had a conversation after he was interviewed by our homicide detectives on the parking lot. And I, and I told him, I said, you know, you're, you're going to die. If, if you don't come with me, you're going to die. And we had that conversation. And about three months later, he was shot twice in the back of the head and left for dead. And he was dead. And it was all because his friends, his brothers, his, his partners in crime all thought he was the snitch. And I say this in the book, and I'll tell you right now, that guy, Chris Gromberg, said absolutely nothing. He didn't snitch anybody off. He didn't say anything about what happened. He protected every one of those losers. And they're the ones that eventually killed him because they thought he did. He snitched. And so, you know, it's it's not the, the specific, hey, let's go blow up a building or, hey, let's go beat down this person. But it's the specific of, hey, we're going to do a hunting trip. You want to go? Or, or, hey, we're going to go to a pool hall. And I, I didn't go because it was our anniversary. And... Um, an 18 year old boy was killed there. There's all the things more along the lines of, you know what? I wish I would have done things a little bit different. And I, and I wish I would have done things a little more maybe aggressively to, to try to stop 
more of the hate that was going on. Uh, that's what gives Matt nightmares. That's one reason that he wrote the book is because he felt like he could, he should have, could have wanted to do more yeah. um, <clears throat> while he could. But what was so interesting about Matt is that there were so many times that he would de-escalate the situation before it ever got to that place. If he was there with these guys, which is one reason that I, I wanted him to go and, and spend so much time away from the family is when he was there, those kind of things didn't happen. So was there a situation where you could have been an accomplice to a crime or actually asked to commit a crime, Matt? Richard Butler, the founder of the Aryan Nations, he asked me to be his, his private security guy. Yeah. And, and that would open up the door to all kinds of different things and all kinds of intel and, and crimes and, and, and things like that. Um, there was a time when uh, Cole Bailey Jr. was murdered in Phoenix at a pool hall that I was supposed to go out with him that night, but it was our anniversary. So, you know, I, I elected and chose to go out to dinner with Tani mm. and just to be called away from dinner because the murder happened. Um, mm. And so there's, you know, what I, I, I cannot commit a crime. You know, I cannot allow a crime to be committed in my presence. So yeah. it's like what Tani just said. I, I If I could de-escalate it, I'd de-escalate it. If mm -hmm. I could do whatever I could to to resolve the situation so nobody was hurt, then, then you know, the, that's beneficial to everybody. So how did you work your way into some of these groups? Uh, can you talk about the process without revealing too much? I assume that that's probably a concern as well. You don't want to spill all the beans here. You don't want to uh, reveal all the secrets. But uh, how did you manage to do that? I mean, how did you uh, get in and, and worm your way into the trust and uh, inner circle of uh, some of these hate groups? You know what? I asked questions. Yeah, that's, that's all I did. I, I <laughs> You know, I was tired of, of when I was working gangs, I was tired of being stuck in the van. Yeah. And, and, and while my, my partners were at the Tejano bars or at, at the Mexican bars, you know, trying to find the gangsters and things like that, I was stuck in the van writing down license plates. <laughs> then one, one day I had a, a skinhead pull the gun on me and, you know, we fought over the gun and he tried to kill me. And that instant made me think, you know, something's going on here. So I started my own research and jumping into what is going on, you know, when I had the opportunity or a chance to, and I would, I would learn the best I could, but I learned best from talking to other people. And so I just called up the, the Arizona leader of the national Alliance. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm interested. What can we do? And he invited me out to breakfast and met with him and three other guys. And before you know it, I was, I was in, and it's, it's all talk. It's, it's, it's listening, first of all, it's listening to what they say, understanding the ideology of the organization, mm -hmm. and then twisting my story to fit all the different narratives that these organizations have. Was your cover ever blown? Did you ever get discovered? And if so, what happens then? My, my cover was blown when I was asked to testify in front of the Arizona Senate about how, you know, hate is fueling the problem on the border. And I was I was told that it was going to be a closed door session. Don't worry, you'll be safe. Oh. Um, but I got there and it wasn't a closed door session. And half of the guys that I worked undercover with were there, as well as the two leaders, JT Reddy and, and another guy were there. And um, and that as soon as I got done testifying, I had 19 internal affairs complaints on me and it just spent everything in it, it twisted everything into a spiral. I had death threats coming in. Ugh. I had, um, 
you know, I was, my chief at the time was George Gascon and he pulled me off the street and said it was for my own protection, which was the worst thing that could ever happen to a guy like me. I just wanted to work. Yeah. Um, and you know, matter of time goes by and, and I continue to fight. Hey, you just, you just got to keep fighting. You yeah. got to keep fighting. I, I knew, you know, you know, you can't be undercover forever. I just didn't want it to end like that. There was a lot of miscommunication with that. I don't really know that it was anyone's fault, but it sure, it sure impacted everything. This is a man that had never had one complaint on the street, an aggressive cop who had not one complaint. Yeah. All of a sudden we had 19 and I think they investigated eight of them, right? No, they investigated all of them and I was exonerated from all yeah, of them. Yeah, they put some of them together as one because yeah. they were the same kind of complaint, but yeah. Okay, short break. Back with more conversation with Matt and Tawny Browning, the authors of Hate Next Door, right after these words. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You can't always get a clean you can feel good about inside and out unless you're using Bubble Genius Bath and Body Products. See, Bubble Genius is a woman-owned small business proudly creating our vegan-friendly products in America and supporting other U.S. businesses by buying our ingredients and supplies from them as often as possible. Plus, you'll be hard-pressed to find packaging as recyclable as ours. Visit BubbleGenius.com and check out our cause-related items, too, like our global warming soap and a lot more. We donate our proceeds for those items to worthy causes, like organizations combating climate change and mountaintop removal mining. Good stuff like that. We also send our products to the troops overseas through our Buy a Soldier a Shower campaign. Because the least we can do is keep them smiling and smelling great, right? So visit BubbleGenius.com and feel good and clean. Bubble Genius, doing our part to make the world a better place, one bathtub at a time. That's BubbleGenius.com. Was there something that happened that resolved the problem or did it just kind of fade out? No, I wish it faded out, but it's yeah. to this day it still hasn't faded out, Ugh. you know, because yeah. you're still, yeah, I'm, I'm still Matt Browning regardless of where I go. Yeah. And I'm still Matt Browning in, in the undercover world is associated with, you know, Packy Fleckinger, which was my undercover name. And, and, you know, they're, they're one in the same. So you still have people that remember you for what you've done. Um, and you still have people remember you for what you've done to them, like putting them in prison. And, and, and so it's just, yeah. I remember one skinhead when I started working with Matt, he told me that Matt Browning would be such a trophy. 
And I was, it was just so surreal and bizarre to hear someone talk about your husband like that, who they don't know is your husband. So yeah, in, in those circles, he, he's definitely a quote unquote, a trophy. Yeah. Tony, tell me about the skinhead organization that you managed to get shut down. Uh, what's well, that story about? Um, you know, I, Matt's probably better at telling that story too, but I just like after that lamb, was slaughtered on our back porch like that. And the, the trauma for my children, um, I just started going online and seeing what I could find. And there I found death threats and things like that and started talking to all kinds of guys. And I found myself really involved in Voltfront, which is an international skinhead crew. Um, and, and I would give information to Matt and he, we had to be really careful with all of that because, you know, I was linking people Mostly, and then Matt would go in and investigate the crimes. Right, right. And you would go into that. It, it just it went all the way across, you know, the pond. It went into England and all over the place, and it was international law enforcement didn't even know what was going on. Well, wow. you, you got to look at it like this too: is that you know, Tony was able to link a lot of what was going on with Voltfront in the UK to a member of Parliament. So that shows you also. So that, you know, not, it's just not here in the U.S. where politicians are involved in hate, but it, it's politicians all over the world. And I'm not saying every politician, but I'm saying that there's a handful of politicians all over the world that are involved in the world of hate. And and to expose it, you know, that's what we're here to do. Is, uh... but it, it took someone that they just were not afraid of, which is, you know, kind of where I came in, where I seemed harmless. And they started telling so many secrets. Right, right. And Tony, you also worked with cult members on the A&E series Escaping Polygamy. Do you see a cult-like mentality among, uh, for example, far-right extremists pertaining to, say, leaders like Donald Trump, for example? Is there a cult element to what we're witnessing as far as certain political factions, even, I mean, beyond the hate groups. I'm just talking about rank-and-file people who have been absorbed into that mentality, maybe not organized with it, but who are kind of reflecting those kinds of twisted values because of their political leadership here. Um, that's a load. There's a lot there. Let me unpack a little bit of it. Um, evil follows evil. Yeah. And even even with what I was involved with and what I had found myself in, in submerged in, I was surprised to see that there the white supremacy that goes on in these polygamous groups as well. One of the girls that we were helping leave, she had an iron cross tattooed on her body. And I was like, do you know what that is? And she knew exactly what it is because she is she had hooked up with a white nationalist. And that's one of the reasons she was wanting to leave. It was just it's just a mind. It's just overwhelming sometimes. And I, that's what I came down to. Evil follows evil. And if you're looking yeah. for that, you know, sometimes they would find their father, you know, same guy, different pants. Are, are, or same guy, you know, one guy was hiding behind religion, another one behind tattoos. Or rhetoric. Wow. wow. Yeah. Are you both witnessing, to an extent, uh, a retraction of the number of groups that are out there, or are they expanding? Are you able to weed them out more quickly than they arise? Do you know what I mean? Is the process working uh, overall as a net positive? Um, no. Oh. I, I don't think there is a net positive yet. I do think there will be, and there can be. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I think what's going on now is like the skinhead, the, the, the world of hate is like a roller coaster. You know, you have your ups and, and everything is hate, hate, hate. Like right now we're on an up peak of hate and then it's going to go back down and it'll be quiet for a little bit and then it'll go back up again. And the reason why this happens is because in the hate world right now, there's really no leadership. Yeah. And as soon as there comes somebody that's going to be a leader, then we'll start hitting that peak again. Um, the, the, the skinhead crews, they're still there, but they're going underground. Mm. Everything is going underground now because of the internet and the different, the different places you can go online. Um, you we're seeing a rise in hate on college and university campuses because of the things going on now. Yep. However, that rise in hate has always, it's always been there because you had guys like Richard Spencer and, and those guys who would go on to the college campuses and recruit. Um, so it's just, it's, we're not boots and braces anymore. Now we're khakis and camos. Yeah. We're not, you know, knuckle dragging, punch you in the mouth. Skinheads were college educated, politically active individuals are, are, is now what the world of hate is. How do you deal with the social media aspect of all of this? I imagine a lot of, uh, I mean, you were mentioning sort of implying uh, about some of the anti-Semitism that is uh, being demonstrated on college campuses, certainly outside a restaurant in Philadelphia that we saw over the weekend. What role does, for example, TikTok play in the radicalization of people into organizing uh, either hate speech or hate crimes and transforming that from simply the comment section under someone's TikTok video over into the real world. How is that uh, worsening the problem? Well, I, I think that anybody, if anybody thinks that TikTok is the real world, we need to start with that problem. You know, <laughs> yeah. and I think if, if anybody thinks that social media is the real world, we should start with that problem. We just had an op-ed published today in the USA Today that we talk about this, this same thing. I think that the rise in, in, in hate and the rise in extremism, I'm just going to say extremism, whether it's on the right or the left, yeah. because there's just as much hate on the left as there is on the right. It's just a different name. So I think what the problem is that we're having now is that we have people who need to take care of what's going on in their homes. You know, parents need to be aware of what their kids are looking at on TikTok or social media or anything else. I mean, we shouldn't have these these young kids, you know, on TikTok and, and doing these stupid things that, that people end up getting hurt. We have the flash mobs that that all of a sudden, you know, you get a you get a tweet or a, a, a message or whatever it is that, hey, we're going to have a rally, you know, said with quotes at, on the corner. And that rally turns into a mob and the mob turns into a fight. Mm. You know, that's the type of stuff that social media does. And, and I really think that parents need to become more involved because... If you look at hate, specifically hate, anybody who has ever had a child, held a child, or been around a child knows that that baby was not born in this world with the ability to hate. That hate is taught from somewhere. And I think we need to figure out where the hate is coming from. And that goes back to that we need to figure out the ideology, then we can stop the rhetoric, and then we can stop the addition of religion to it, and then we can stop the violence. And that's the only thing that we can do is figure out where the ideology is coming from. Is there an equivalent on the left to the white supremacy, white nationalism uh, and hate crimes that we see 
on the right, on the far right? Is there something on the left that is the counterbalance to that? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I tell you, I some of the most violent people that I've ever worked were on the left. And those are your sharp skins. They're the skinheads against racial prejudice. So you'll have within these Sharpie groups, you'll have black, white, gay, straight, Jewish, Indian, whatever the nationality, whatever the orientation is of this person. And they'll be part of the sharp skin scene. And they specifically go out to target your racist skinheads. So, and, and you talk about some violent attacks. Holy cow, man. I worked one where a guy had all of his racist tattoos cut off of his body with a razor by these sharp skins. And so you have your Sharpies, you have Antifa, you have all these extreme left organizations that are doing nearly the same thing the far right is doing because the far right, the white nationalists, your haters, they're opportunists. They take the opportunity to, to go after a person, after a religion, after a weaker individual, and the far left does the exact same thing. They just have a different title to it. So is it happening as often as we see uh, far-right extremism? Is the prevalence of uh, the shark skin groups, as you were talking, is that happening at the same level? I mean, we're talking about an equivalence here? Yeah, I think if, you, if we look back at some of the, the riots from last summer and see the fighting, you know, a lot of it is the far left against the far right. And so, yeah, I think it is to the same, same extent. I just think that, that we as a people are labeling it something different. You know, we don't want to look at it as hate. We don't want to go look at it as domestic terrorism. We don't want to look at it as, as anything because whenever you say hate and domestic terrorism, you know, with some, it automatically flips to, oh, they're talking about the far right. Well, as a guy who's worked undercover in the far left also, you know, it happens there too. Crazy thing is we had a skinhead tell us, um, if you really want to understand what goes on on the far right skinhead scene or the far right mentality, watch the movie Malcolm X. And it's the same mentality, just one is left and one is right. Matt always says if you go far enough right and far enough left, you meet in the middle anyway. Yeah, you come together. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Bob, not to interrupt you, but hate is hate is hate is hate. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't matter who's spewing the hate. It's still hate. And that's what we're trying to fight against is we have to stop the rhetoric. And, and once we stop this rhetoric of hate, because really, if you look at it, it's hypocritical. It's totally misinformation and it's opportunistic that's all hate is i guess the thing is i just i worry about drawing an equivalence if there isn't an equivalence and i feel as though the protests in 2020 were the consequence of a violent crime in the street that was caught on video and the reaction was a reaction to centuries of persecution and i wonder if that's the same that reaction is the same as the very deeply seeded far-right extremism that we're seeing that has existed for quite some time in the United States and seems to get a, a greater foothold uh, as time goes on. So I, I, that's all I'm uh, questioning is, right. is whether or not we're talking about numbers that are the same rather than, well, you know, you're going to find some violence on the left, but is it the same level of violence that you see uh, coming from far-right hate groups? And so that's what I'm trying to get to the bottom of. Uh, here, let me let's get to the bottom of it then. The yeah. ideology of hate is the same. Yeah. 
the number of haters on the right compared to the numbers of haters on the left is not the same. So, you know, it, the organizations, the, the, the named organizations on the right are probably more than the named organizations on the left. And so I would, I would have to go with the right is bigger than the left when it comes to the world of hate. However, the ideology is the same. So Does that make sense? Right. And one thing I wanted to uh, touch on here, too, is how people end up, and I'm talking about just normal people, for example, scrolling through TikTok. How do they end up getting radicalized into groups like this? What does the radicalization process look like, Matt? It's simple. It's a simple process. It's usually in order to, to go onto these social media sites or websites to start the radicalization the radicalization has already started by ideologies that a person has heard from a family member, something that they heard on Fox News or CNN that upset them, something that that made them want to go down the rabbit hole of of whatever the the I mean, pick a topic, and they will go down these rabbit holes, and then they finally spend hours and hours and hours looking into it to where they go to bed at night with the same ideologies as they wake up in the morning and they don't step away and talk to people who actually know what they're talking about, about what's going on. They form their own ID. They form their own, you know, ideology on whether it's religion or whether it's on terrorism or, or the war or whatever else it is. And then they start clinging to those people that have the same views that they do. And then they start the process of integrating themselves in with the organizations. And next thing you know, you have a, a you know, an 18 year old piano student going to San Diego and shooting up a, a synagogue. Yeah. You know, and it's really, it's, it's our children and I call them children. I've got five and three of them are in, at universities. Um, it's our children that that are looking for a place to belong where their voices can be heard that are most at risk. Right. Because in our in our polarized world, you know, the, the just your your what would be considered a normal kid is not there's no place for them. They I spoke to my children at length about this. So you kind of, especially online, have to take a stand either far right or far left to have a voice. And um it's it's it, that's our children that are at risk. And so I think as a community, we, we give them a place where they belong, give them a paintbrush, give them a lacrosse stick, things that they don't have to go online to find their identity and where they belong. Do either of you notice uh, bad actors on social media who are maybe earning a handsome profit on generating chaos, generating uh, hate speech online? Is this sort of a business model now or oh, for sure. yeah, for sure. I mean, you really, what, what benefit is there from hate? Yeah. You know, you're going, you're going to have organizations after you, you're going to have law enforcement king in on you. You're going to have a bunch of crazy people, you know, constantly trying to come up on you. Um, what's the benefit? Well, yeah. if I can make a couple bucks, then that's the benefit. And, and if you look back in time, you see that there's always the dues. You know, when I was a member of the National Alliance, you had to pay your dues. So William Pierce was collecting a paycheck from the dues that was paid to the National Alliance. You have members of skinhead crews that have to pay the dues. 
so the leaders can can buy the beer, can pay for their apartments, can pay for their cell phones, so they can continue promoting this stuff. And now what you have is you have YouTube channels or you have whatever, you know, however many clicks you need to gain $300, they're going to try to get those. And so the only benefit to hate is the money-making machine behind it. Along those lines, uh, what do we do as far as rolling back that tide? Because it seems like, well, the internet's not going anywhere. Social media is not going to go anywhere. Audiences for these platforms seem to be growing uh, more than they are retracting. So what's the process there? How do you stop it at the source uh, before it gets to the point where it's uh, someone you're interacting with in a room somewhere, Matt, who's talking about bombing this building or going to war against the Mexican army or whatever? How do you block it? where the problem starts, which is uh, possibly radicalization online. Well, I think that's, we stop it because we have to build our families. It, it all goes back to family and community. It goes back to, like Tani said, you give you give a kid the opportunity to, to succeed somewhere, whether it's mm -hmm. in football, baseball, you know, whether it's debate, you know, whatever it might be, we give our kids opportunities to succeed. And then we also keep track of what, they're putting into their minds. We're parents. We have five kids. We we know that if our kids start acting up, all right, what's going on here? What do we need to do? What are we looking at? What are we reading? Who are your friends you're associating with that now you're getting in trouble with? Mm -hmm. There's things that we need to do as families. Communities need to step up also. Our schools need to be aware of what's going on in the communities. Our schools need to be aware of what's going on with the classes and and different signs and symbols and things that they can see. And then we all need to come together and just talk about it. Yeah. That's how we can solve the problem. You know, when, when I started fighting the world of hate, I thought I'm going to go and, and, and start the supremacist intelligence network and we're going to take on the world and we're going to solve all the world problems. Well, you know what? <clears throat> Excuse me. I bit too much. And I think what it is, is we need to keep it to our community level. And a great example, you know, we have, we have, like Tani said, we have kids and one of them, two of them are big football players. They both play university football. Wow. Last year, one of our sons took, uh, his team took state. And the reason why they took state was at the beginning of the year, the coach brought everybody together. Didn't matter what color you were, what religion you were, what your sexual preferences were, nothing mattered. The only thing that mattered is that you are a team. He sat these kids down and he said, nobody's leaving this room until you understand each other. You understand the trials of growing up in this neighborhood or in this area. You understand the trials of growing up in, you know, with a single parent home, or you understand the trials of growing up with a lot of siblings. And once those kids could understand each other, they went out and they conquered, they went out and they played for each other and they took the state title. And yeah. That's what we need. And we we you, need that. It's so incredible. It makes me so excited that I can hardly sit here because <laughs> if you saw these kids, it is completely the gamut. We even had, there was even a kid from um, Russia and we had the gamut of children that were playing together and they were all playing for each other and they love each other. And it's, it was, it was a beautiful thing to watch. And, and Tani says, you know what? The only <laughs> way that we're going to solve hate is to fight at one football team at a time. <laughs> and, and, hey, I and like the sound what? of that. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I, we're a football family, man. We love our football. And I tell you, <laughs> it's truth. But, and you know what? I say one football, one football team at a time, one baseball team, one drama, you know, um, crew, what, whatever. It's, it's give our children something that they can believe in and grow up healthy and stay out of this, this hate before they even dabble in it, before they even put their toe in it. So it seems like uh, parents keeping a closer eye in terms of what their kids are absorbing on the internet is a uh, a very real solution that should be put into practice a lot more often. Do you think? Huge, and, and it, yeah. I'm not here to say it's easy. My gosh, we when we started, we could put our computer somewhere that we could see what the kids were doing at, and hmm. and now they have their phones, and and it's there. So now we have to say, why would you want to do that? Yeah. What yeah. is what is drawing you to this instead of don't don't don't? That's not the answer. It's right there in their hands. Yeah, my darkest moments, uh, I have this uh, mantra that I repeat, which is, shut down the internet. <laughs> I say it I say it somewhat facetiously because obviously many good things about the internet and things that we can avail ourselves of that are actually improving society, but then there's that dark side, and man. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, Tony, Tony read you that, Tony quoted that quote earlier about not becoming a monster. Mm. The problem is, is that when we start hanging out with monsters, yeah. we don't see ourselves turning into a monster. We think everything is fine. And, and in my situation, I didn't see myself turning into one of these haters or, or, or becoming more like them than I wanted to. But Tani saw that. Yeah. And so Tani pulled me aside and Tani would come out in the driveway or Tani would come out to my truck and say, you know, what's, what's going on? We talked through it. 30 minutes later, we're still sitting out in the truck. Tani would bring out a dog or one of the kids. See, everything is okay. This is the world. This is our world. And I think that's what we need to do with, with our families now is that a lot of these kids don't even understand what's happening until they're, you know, three murders into a Friday night. And, and which is an extreme. I understand that. But it's like, how did I get here? And, and Matt, Matt always told the kids one choice at a time. And I also heard him tell white supremacists the same thing. You're here because of one choice at a time. We can get you out one choice at a time as well. Matt, do you ever miss the work? Oh, I love the work. Yeah. I, You know what? I don't miss the psychological BS that it causes, and I don't miss um, the nightmares and the, the the anxieties and things that come from working law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I don't miss the, the lack of support from from staff or, or or whoever else you know the the powers to be but you know i do miss going somewhere and knowing that's our guy and he's going to go to jail for what he's done i i'm i miss doing good work for good people while putting away bad people well i can say the work you're doing now the both of you especially with this book I think the effect of that is going to be, if not equivalent, greater than the uh, the on the ground work that you were doing before. So uh, I just want to mention that the book is The Hate Next Door, Undercover Within the New Face of White Supremacy. I have a link in the description at bobseska.com to buy the book as timely and as important as ever. Thank you so much, both of you, for uh, not only this book, but for your immense courageousness, putting your lives on the line to root out white supremacy. Uh, Matt and Tawny, thank you so much for your time today.
Hey, Bob, thank you so much. And thank you for what you do. I think it's what we all do together that makes a difference. And we appreciate you having us. Oh, I appreciate that so much. Take care, both of you. Have a great holiday season. Appreciate it. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. After all this time, I'm still